Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nick Kennedy, Chair of the Workforce Planning Institute. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, Simon. I'm I'm great. Thank you for having me. No, oh, thanks for uh, it's evening, isn't it? So that the, your accent gives away that you might not be in the UK. I am, uh, as as we talked about off camera. I'm basking in uh, 27 degree heat at 8 p.m. at night in Melbourne. <laughs> And I'm basking in wind and rain at just after 9am 9, 9 in a not-so-sunny uh, UK. So, uh, yeah, poles apart, as, as I said to you, I think you got the better end of the deal. Indeed, indeed. So, Nick, I appreciate you taking the, the time out. And uh, we're going to have an interesting conversation today, I think, about strategic workforce planning. But before we get into that, do you want to give us a kind of quick uh, biog of what you've done in your career and how you got to be chair at the Workforce Planning Institute? Yeah, absolutely, Simon. So I, I started life as a mechanical engineer and I worked across a couple of different industry sectors for a few years. So um, metals, mining, processing and automotive for a little bit. Um, I moved into recruitment after that. I really wasn't getting the people interaction sort of side of my role. So I spent six years in agency recruitment and then went in-house for a little while and worked for a company called Newcrest Mining Um as an internal recruiter and they cottoned on to the fact that I was an engineer and and could do other stuff. So they moved me around a little bit. So I got an opportunity to work in, in sort of the lean and six Sigma space. So business improvement, operational excellence for a couple of years. And then I moved into this thing called workforce planning, which back at the time um, was, was really sorting the numbers out. It was um, helping the organization understand how to accurately count the workforce, start reporting on it. Um, and then we started to, to leverage some business insights from there. I got to the point where I was either faced with becoming a mining person for, for my career or um, <clears throat> continuing on in the analytical HR space. So I really enjoyed that. I went to work for a small consulting firm uh, for a year or so before setting up for myself. So I've been running a, an advisory firm in and around strategic workforce planning for um, – the last 12 or 13 years now and, and along the way um, identified an opportunity to do something um, more as an advocacy um, body for workforce planning professionals, just, just identifying the fact that strategic workforce planning was a, was a much needed and rapidly growing profession but it had none of the underlying support mechanisms, infrastructure, those sorts of things. So I got involved in the Institute to help address that gap. Um, and I've been running that for for the last five years and really, really enjoy it. Amazing. So, yeah, mine, mining background through to kind of analytics, data and, and planning. So Absolutely. we talk a lot on this podcast about workforce management. So the, I suppose the, the end result, the, the short-term three, four, five, six weeks out of demand the curve and then plotting people against it by shifts clocking them in and out so we pay them correctly how does that differ from strategic workforce planning i think it's um it differs across a a few key areas and we certainly consider operational workforce planning and resource management as a as a subset as a subcomponent um or even an output of strategic workforce planning but i think the first point of difference is the time horizon. So strategic workforce planners are looking 
you know, well out beyond the the eighteen month horizon, and and depending on their organisation in their industry sector, that could be three, five years. It could be ten years plus, or even in in some of the the industries like defence and government, we see them looking out um, thirty, forty, fifty years at time. So, I would say that time frame, especially sort of you know the the one that you highlighted, would be would be one of our key points of difference. I think also strategic workforce planning tends to cast the net uh, a lot wider in terms of the facets and the aspects that it considers. So um, moving beyond uh, deployment, beyond workforce allocation, beyond workforce management, um, strategic workforce planners are still very much interested in, in the numbers and the cost, but then they're also interested in a broader suite of things, including skills, capability, um, you know, how we grow and train our workforce, you know, all of the different approaches to supplementing workforce demand. So they'll tend to look beyond, okay, a person or a human in the traditional sense is always used and is always employed to deliver the work. So strategic workforce planners can at times rethink the work. They can at times look at different models to get that work delivered um, you know how they might need to skill or train their workforce, look after their workforce, um, you know, pay their workforce. So it brings in a whole lot of those other levers that that perhaps isn't isn't sort of the first uh, the first consideration of the, the first sort of thing like rostering and deployment. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And that must be a real challenge then when organisations are kind of focusing on productivity. Does that have a positive or negative impact on your kind of strategic initiatives especially in a world where we've got dynamic workforce you know things like AI um, coming at us quickly that we don't really know I think at this point how that's going to impact the workforce but we think it's going to do some of some stuff for us yeah I think it it um, it can have a positive effect and it can have a negative effect so if I start on the perhaps the not-so-positive side of it. You know, I've been into a lot of organisations over the years where I'm sitting down and explaining what strategic workforce planning is and why it's beneficial and why we should do it. And the first question is, well, what's, what's the 12-month return on investment for the activity? So when we're in an organisation that is used to um, driving cost out, that's used to seeing tangible outcomes within short timeframes, measurable outcomes, you know, very focused on productivity. So, you know, industries like mining, industries like manufacturing, um, it's it's not always an easy sell because you're not going to realise that benefit until a number of years down the track. And even then, you're probably not going to sit there and say, hey, we got this right. Now, you're going to get a really rude shock if you don't get it right because you won't have talent in place and skills and, and you won't have moved with the shifting macroeconomic environment to, to change your business and change your workforce. Um, so that, that can be a challenge when we've got individuals who, who are, you know, operating in a, in a lean, agile type, traditional type environment where, you know, that we're shaving costs off, off this activity and that activity. So um, I think the challenge is understanding how they work together. Um, but 
a number of the, the the other trends and patterns that you mentioned, like AI, um, machine learning, some of these concepts are already starting to significantly transform how we do work, how we deliver work, and what the effort is required to get that done. So that's that's a game changer for a strategic workforce planner who you know, might look at, I don't know, an activity like coding, for example, where they may have had a pretty classic rule of thumb way of allocating developers against you know projects of a given size. Um, you know, that, that's all changing with with the um, introduction of co-pilots and and um, leveraging generative AI to to develop code. So, in some in some aspects, it can be a frustration, but in others, it's it's absolutely something that that we're embracing, that we need, that we love, and that strategic workforce planners genuinely believe will it will will make will make their role easy, will enable them to to do what they do best in the future. Is it hard to strike that balance? Do the do the teams need to kind of coexist and and work together in that long term, medium, and short term? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that there are some iterative loops that, that you know, require feedback. So when we're looking at the, the short-term and sometimes even the medium-term teams, you know, they're the ones who have the best view and understanding of the current issues at the coalface. And we can't, we can't ignore those, but we need to understand whether they're likely to be issues two, three, four, five years down the track with the way things are changing and evolving so that strategic workforce planners aren't trying to solve problems in the future that, that will no longer be issues and challenges. So I think they can create a really valuable um, a really valuable information loop in terms of, hey, here's what we're seeing, here's what's going on, um, you know, and, and certainly feed that into to the process, feed that into the considerations and start to plan around ways to, to avoid those traps in the future. Because, I mean, the whole work-life balance thing certainly in, in Europe shifted, was shifting and has probably shifted further since COVID in terms of, you know, still a majority of people don't go back to the office every day. Um, we've still got clearly frontline workers, but then you've got the, the generational changes as well in terms of what people are looking for for an employer, the benefits that may be more around the softer side rather than just cash. So so all those things go into the mix as well? Yeah, absolutely. And work is changing. And I'm, I've seen some data recently. I think it was it was produced by a gentleman by the name of Adam Gibson from EY who's you know, a living legend among strategic workforce plan, planners. And it looked at the employee view of how things were shifting, particularly in relation to, to generative AI and the employer's view. And for me, that was synonymous um, of, of the difference in expectations at the moment. So I still see, you know, organisations, leadership, management, if you will, wanting or, or needing staff to, to do some time connected in the office to do some time, whether it's under a watchful eye for that reason or whether it's, for other reasons, coming back in and, and delivering work. And yet I'm seeing staff, you know, more and more want to 
want to continue to to work in that environment that they have become used to, and, and that's the environment where if I want to start at seven and I want to take two hours off in the middle of the day to do some training or, or to have a nap or to to do a school pickup and drop off, and then I want to log back on. Uh, at, at various intervals of the day, and as long as I'm there for those you know hard meetings that are in my diary, you know, that was okay for for a long time. And and I think we haven't properly leveraged that as a planet yet, and said, okay, well, you know, perhaps you can you can work like that. Perhaps we can shift our definition of what a productive workforce looks like, because at the moment. We're still tethered to, on mass, and I'm, I'm generalising here. I understand that but we're still tethered to the fact that a, a, a human works 38 hours a week, or, or, or part thereof. They're employed by a, uh, an entity that is our our company, and for all intents and purposes, we we deem that as them being within our sphere of influence and and delivery kind of vehicle. But we don't need to work like that and and more and more I would love to see outcome-focused roles. So it's not possible for every role at this stage. So there, there are some roles that you know, require available time, you know, nursing, policing. There are some sectors that will always need that. But so many roles could start to shift to a set of outcomes as opposed to the input as opposed to how much time or availability. So rather than measure, um, you know, what someone is doing by, you know, yes, how many hours they're putting and okay, a few KPIs, can we start to think about you've got a fixed amount of work to deliver, um, we want you to deliver A, B, C and D and you're empowered and entrusted to to do that, you know, within a loose set of constraints um, as, as long as we get the outcomes that we're after. So I'd love to see a shift in thinking of what workforce productivity looks like to something that's more outcome-focused. And I think some organisations are starting to do it, but there's a real hesitation and I I suspect there are some trust challenges that might be holding that up on mass. Yeah, I, I like the concept and I think you're right, it'll be... Yeah, so if you manage to do the work quicker, what did you do with the rest of your time, which kind of goes against the the ethos of outcome-based, doesn't it? As long as the outcomes are delivered on, in the correct time scales to the right standard, should it matter it's taking you 50 hours that week, 45 or 60? Exactly. And then we start to to get back to, you know, this challenging the inequity that that exists across traditional workforces. Employee X is a top performer. They get through a heck of a lot of work. They're fairly resilient. We can give them work and we know we're going to get it done. But employee Y who sits next to employee X isn't that individual. Now, is it fair that employee X is lumped with that amount of work? Not necessarily. Now, employee X may want to deliver over and above and, and progress up the up the up the chain, so to speak, and, and I get that. But I still I still think that we can address inequity by 
acknowledging that if you do do that work faster, then, hey, go and go for a walk with your favorite pet or your partner or your family or, or go and do an activity that that does alleviate the challenges and the burdens that go hand in hand with working in traditional environments. Go and look after yourself. Go and do something that allows you to switch off. And why, why can't we offer that? Why is it, hey, you were super efficient, here's more? Yeah, in, interesting point for people to think on. And how do you kind of join the loop? So you, you talked before around, you know, there's organisations that struggle with there's no immediate payback or particular cash value that's easy to access. The strategic stuff, as it says on the tin, is more around the longer term and setting the, the foundations. So how does that success get measured and then balanced against, I suppose, people trying to reduce costs with a productivity lens? Yeah, it's and you're kind of getting into the the broader area of how do we measure effective and productive strategic workforce planning? Like what is a from a holistic point of view, and that's very much the lens that SWP looks through. How do you how do you know when you've got it right? How do you how do you put in place? You know, can, can you boil it down to one number? And and you know, ultimately, you generally can't. But we tend to look at a, a series of metrics that that help serve as yardsticks along the way, depending on the problem that the organisation is trying to solve. So, you know, many organisations have a workforce profile that they would deem at greater risk because of the retirement landscape. Um, Others might have challenging employee engagement results. Others might have excess, sorry, not excess annual leave, unscheduled absence that they, they feel is, you know, is at a level that's unacceptable and costs in the organisation. So they, they could all be, you know, part of a SWP effectiveness dashboard um, there are some others that I think are, are definitely worth looking at, and, and one's the effectiveness ratio of an organisation. So, um, you know, the, the revenue per dollar spent to get the work done. Now, I won't say per dollar spent on the workforce because that doesn't have to look like a traditional workforce any longer. Um, and another one that that can be a good measure of whether you're investing in your people if you if you've got a traditional workforce is it training effectiveness ratio so the revenue um, of your organization per training dollar spent on on your workforce so we, we can start to bring in some metrics that perhaps don't don't zero in on exactly yes swp did this 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 and this and therefore it's effective to we know we're heading in the right direction. And that's one of the generally accepted principles about strategic workforce planning. And I probably didn't highlight this when I delineated between operational and strategic, but this is not laser-like accuracy that we're trying to achieve here. Strategic workforce planning gives the organisation a direction. It serves as the true north. X doesn't mark the spot. Um, we know X is over there and that's where we're headed and we will reforecast and we'll reshift that um, 
as things change and 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 the same needs to happen with your effectiveness measures and are we still are we still measuring um whether we're productive and effective in in our workforce planning activity in a manner that that you know is is accurate and is conducive to to the right outcomes if not we need to shift shift those goalposts got it so really understanding what the business challenges are and then having some metrics around it as well as the wider ones but i think that the bigger point there is if you don't know you're heading north you could be heading west east or even south which is you know an even worse place to be exactly right and and as we've seen you know in in sort of the last five years or so now i guess um the the economic climate the environment we operate in can shift rapidly and it, it can spin that boat around and have it heading in a in a southerly direction when you need to be going north so you need to understand you know what those forces are you need to continue to not only look at your strategy and, and make sure that it's still the right strategy and still refreshed but you also need to understand what are the assumptions, constraints and influences that we're delivering that strategy under based on you know, the economic environment, the macroeconomic climate and, and what are some of the forces that might um, pull us off course and, and how do we counter those. So I think having that refresh cycle is, is critical to making sure your boat's still pointing in the right direction. Amazing. Brilliant. Got it. Nick, really, really enjoyed the conversation. It's opened my eyes to the, the subtle differences and how these kind of things work in harmony. I know you do a couple of events across the world throughout the year. Do you want to just tell us a bit about those in case people are listening and are interested to attend? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our broader event portfolio has grown um, significantly over the over the last sort of year or two. So we work very closely with Tucana Global, who are our um, global event partner. And, and between Tucana and the Workforce Planning Institute, we now deliver um, people analytics world events and SWP conference events globally. So we're heading to Zurich at the end of Feb for a partnered event with Microsoft. So that's a, a smaller one-day conference which will be um, all around leveraging Gen AI uh, to drive and influence the employee experience then we head to London for People Analytics World on April 24th and 25th, and that's the main event um, on that that side of the platform for the year. Uh, we've got SWP Conference in the US in June. Um, we've got an Amsterdam PA World event in September. We have our SWP Conference London, which is the flagship SWP Conference event in November. That was a, a wonderful event last year and we're looking forward to having a, a brilliant one again. And then we're heading back to uh, Sydney for our Asia Pack event in December before we all have a well-earned rest for the year. So yeah, the, you know, I, miss, I miss People Analytics World in New York in September as well. So we've got um, events that, that really align to where most of our members, most of our followers are, and, and we know it's not always... Um, easy for someone from Australia to fly to, you know, Europe for a, for a, a once a year conference. So we try and host you know, medium size events in various hubs all around the world. So we're always keen to hear from speakers. We're always keen to hear from sponsors. Um, we love giving people a, a voice in either their people analytics or strategic workforce planning peer groups 
at these events. And if people want to find out more about those events, is there a, a website they can go to or do they contact you through LinkedIn? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So they're all they're all sitting up on both the Workforce Planning Institute website uh, and the Takana Global and People Analytics World websites. So um, you know, just click, just follow the links through from from each of those. And every every event that is live at the moment will be um, will be up there. If you want information about an event that's not yet live, info at workforceplanninginstitute.com will get you a very very quick response around what's coming in your part of the world amazing we'll put the links in the show notes so people can find those quickly so just leaves me to say nick really appreciate your time really jealous that you've got far better weather than than we have in the uk at the moment but um hopefully that that starts to switch out as you head out of summer and we end we enter into it and uh, safe travels in your globe trotting this year thanks for having me simon and um hopefully we can catch up when i'm in the uk next Absolutely. Take care. Cheers.